Father, thank you for the opportunity to come here today and worship you. God, we sometimes forget what a privilege it is that we can come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can come before majesty and we can offer our feeble praise. Lord, we're just animated dust. Lord, we're a sinful people on our own. Lord, we are not worthy to come into your presence, but yet you allow us to come into your presence and offer our praise to you. And so today, God, we ask that your name would be exalted above every other name that could possibly be spoken. God, we praise you for being the Father, the Creator, the one who made us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us, the one who seeks to redeem us. We praise you, God, for being the Son, Jesus Christ, who stepped out of the glories of heaven and stepped into this broken world, lived just as we do, yet without sin, and laid his life down for us. God, we praise you for being spirit. We praise you for being the unseen mover who is behind everything working your will and working your way. And God, we know that no purpose that you have will ever be thwarted, but it will come to pass. And so, Father, we pray, we praise your spirit. We praise the Holy Spirit this morning. And God, we want to be moved by the spirit. Lord, we have asked through song that our life be built upon you, the firm foundation of who you are. And God, I pray this morning that we would come not with our preconceived notions, not with our desires, not with our life in our hands, God, but we would lay our life down before you and we would desire to honor you in every way. God, if there's something in us that's not pleasing to you, God, I pray that before we leave this place today, that would be corrected. Because God, we want to honor you, not only with our mouth, not only with our song, but God, with our lives. And so God revealed to us a little bit more today about how to live for you and what the body of Christ needs to look like in this world. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the salvation that's offered only in Jesus Christ. It's in his magnificent, precious, and holy name that we pray all these things this morning. And this congregation known as Rushwood, we're all going to say together, amen. Let it be so in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. I usually try to start out by telling you something good, so here's what I'd like to tell you this morning. The great thing about the family of God is it's, it's supposed to grow. The family of God is not supposed to stay as it is, but it is supposed to expand it is supposed to grow. We're supposed to see new family members added all the time. And we have an opportunity in these next coming months, actually leading up to Christmas. And man, Christmas is right around the corner. I hope you're getting your shopping done. We try. When you got four kids, all under the age of 12, you got to get stuff done early. So we've been working on that a little bit early. But as we're leading up to Christmas, it's a great opportunity during this season to reach new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope you guys, as you are out in the community, as you're going through your daily lives, are being good witnesses 
with your lives and also your words. I hope that you're telling people about who Jesus is, uh, not just telling them about him, but showing them who he is through your actions. But also I think it's a very legitimate way to try to win people to Jesus and try to expand the family of God by inviting people to come to a worship service with you, to come to our church. A lot of people are surprised when they come to our church because it may be different than what they expect or different than what they've grown up with. Some people who maybe have never been to church before find that there is a spirit here, um, not of condemnation, not of, of judgment or anything like that, but we have a spirit of love and we have a spirit of acceptance. Not that we accept everything because God doesn't accept everything, but we accept everybody in love who is willing to come here, worship with us, and be part of our family or to be guests uh, in, in our, basically Sunday mornings, our, our family celebrations for us. And so I want to ask you, as over the next coming months, uh, just the next couple of months, as we lead up to Christmas, it's a great time to invite people to come and check out what God is doing at Rushwood. And, and they say 80% of people, 80% of people say they would go to church, even if they don't attend church, they would go to church if a friend or family member invited them to come with them. And so that shows you a lot of times we think nobody's going to come, nobody is going to, if we invite them, nobody is going to say yes and come to church with us. And I've also told you this before, but it's been a while, so maybe this bears repeating. They say on average when you invite somebody to church, you have to invite them 21 times before they show up. So if you haven't invited them 21 times yet, keep going because that 21st time is coming or 22nd or whatever. Keep inviting them, keep working with them, keep praying with them. Uh, for them. A while back, uh, I asked you guys to come up with your five. If you were here, we, we asked that you come up with five people that are in your sphere of influence, maybe family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, whatever, who don't know Jesus Christ, and we asked that you would let God lay them on your heart, and you would pray over your five, and you would pray that God would do something to bring them in to his family. And I have my five. I have it written up in my office. I have a little card with five names on it of people that I'm praying for. And what's amazing is right now I see that God is working, especially in three of them, in some amazing ways. God is really working in their lives. And I didn't pick easy people. I picked people that, that you know, God's going to have to do some work there to get these people in the fold. But I see him working, breaking down walls, doing things not the way I planned it, but the way he planned it. So if you don't have that, I'd love for you to write down five names of people that don't know Jesus Christ that you want to pray for, invite them to church, be part of their lives, invest in them, and just see what God does. Because it's not enough just to come into church on Sunday morning and worship together. That's great, it's wonderful, it's fun, it's enjoyable, but it's not enough. Really, church happens when we leave this, this building. Really, the church is going to happen this morning when we leave this building and get back out in the community get back out in this world, and we're the salt and light that God has called us to be. So I just want to give you encouragement over the coming weeks. Ask God to lay somebody on your heart to pray for. Ask God to lay somebody on your heart to invite to church and just see what God does through that. You might change somebody's life, and you might change somebody's eternity. So that's the good thing this morning that I wanted to tell you about. I also believe you came to church on a very good day because today may be the most controversial sermon I preach all year and you say man Brent that's good because sometimes we're known for controversy around here I don't know why I think sometimes when we preach God's word it's controversial enough and maybe that's why and we try to preach all of God's word and maybe that's why we get that name sometimes but to, today might take the cake 
Today might be a subject that, that goes above and beyond anything I have preached so far this year, and I've probably alluded to this subject in sermons before, but we're spending a whole day on the subject of alcohol. A whole day. Ooh, I mean, it's like it got quieter than quiet in here when I said that word. A whole day on the subject of Christians and drinking alcohol. And if you've been following along, you know we've been in the book of Ephesians. You knew this one was probably coming up sometime soon. But we purposefully did not advertise this ahead of today because we wanted you to show up. You know, some people were going to be like, nah, to be preaching on alcohol, I'm staying home today. I ain't hearing about all that. This will be great online afterwards, though, because I think a lot of people are going to be interested and want to tune in. But our, sir, our uh, scripture today does come from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I alluded to this earlier in the year, but we're really going there and really covering the whole subject today. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That was a short verse, so let me read it to you one more time. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Some translations say do not get drunk on wine because that leads to debauchery. In other words, that leads to other sins, that leads to further things, that leads to more problems, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today I am preaching a subject, I know it's dangerous to preach this subject, because there's at least two groups of people in here right now who want me to preach this subject two different ways. And say, so I'm going to kind of, let me go through, and there's probably more than those two groups, but at least two groups in here that want me to preach it two different ways. The first group is probably out there rooting for me to blast drinking and drinkers out of the water or out of the beer. I don't know, but anyway, they want me to blast them. They want me to just let it loose. You want me to say that the Bible is totally... 100% against any consumption of alcohol and that there are a few things in the world worse than a person who claims to be a Christian and who drinks alcohol and that anyone who touches a drop of liquor is going straight to hell. That's probably what one group would really, if their just hearts were open, that's really what they'd like for me to say and I hate to tell you but you're probably going to be disappointed. You're probably going to be disappointed today. But there's a second group of people who would want me to preach it a little bit differently. You want me to preach that the Bible only says good things about alcohol. And that Jesus did turn water into wine, after all. And as Martin Luther said, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. So eat, drink, and be merry, because this bud is for you. You all remember that? I know that's an old reference, but anyway. You guys are really going to be disappointed today. I don't think you're going to be happy either. I don't think you're going, so, and by the way, this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I got a box at the back, and I'm like, man, there ain't going to be nothing in that box today, and I'm going to make everybody mad. But no, here's the great thing, here's the good news. I don't have to preach to, pre I don't have to preach to impress or to get your approval at all, because I preach really at the end of the day to honor only one, and that's God. He's my audience of one, so... I'm going to try to be nice, I'm going to try to be fair, and I'm going to, above all, try to be biblical in what I preach today, but at the same time, if, you're, if you leave here upset with me and God is happy with me, then I've done my job. And so, uh, as Paul said to the Galatians, do not let me become your enemy by telling you the truth. Don't let me become your enemy by telling you the truth. I love you, 
And I hope you love me, and I hope at the end of this sermon, and I know at the end of this sermon I'll still love you. I hope you'll still love me. We'll see. Let me up front, I want you to know, you just might as well get this out of the way, help you to understand it, know where I'm coming from. I don't drink alcohol. It's not part of what I do. In fact, I have never tasted alcohol except maybe outside of like NyQuil or something like that for some sort of medicine. And no, I don't drink you know, big gallons of NyQuil or anything like that. I've never really tasted alcohol. I've never had a beer. I've never had a glass of wine. I've never had anything like that. When I taught middle school, I used to tell my students that. They'd say, oh, they'd say, oh I know all you teachers go home and drink beer after, after work. And by the way, teaching middle school, it was really, really tempting. Really, really tempting to go there, I promise you. But they'd say, Mr. T, I know you drink. And I'm like, no, I've never tasted alcohol. Mr. T, you're lying. No, I'm not lying. I've never tasted alcohol outside of maybe medicinal purposes. Uh, I've never had a beer. I've never had a glass of wine. One of the reasons is, and I'm trying to give you guys my background up front today so you'll know where I'm coming from. One of the reasons is I was basically raised, not necessarily by my parents, but just by the religious community in which I grew up. I was basically raised that drinking alcohol would send you straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $500. You're on your way if you're drinking alcohol. It's one of the worst things that people could possibly do and claim to be a Christian. Gossip was okay. Gossip was fine, you know, because as long as you stayed away from the beer and the cigarettes, you could go talk about people all you wanted to. Um, you know, and we had our kind of our checklist. You checked off the checklist and you were okay, but anything past that, uh, that wasn't on our checklist, so we're not worried about that. But my wife and I were both raised that way to a pretty strong extent. My wife and I graduated Ashborough High School back in 1997 together, and neither one of us really got into the whole high school drinking scene. Again, I didn't drink alcohol. My wife has never tasted alcohol. We, we, it's just never been part of our lives, never been part of what we've done. And by the way, even back in 1997, Ashborough High School had a pretty good drinking scene going on. There was a lot of that behind you. In fact, you didn't really quite fit in totally unless you were part of that, unless you, unless you were willing to engage. There were certain groups of people, certain people were not going to be in your circle, not be your friends unless you engaged in that whole partying and drinking scene. And my wife would tell people, if I have to go get drunk and act like a fool to have friends, I guess I just won't have any friends. It's one of the reasons I love you, darling, because you have that sort of personality. You just, uh, you just take it head on. And I felt pretty much the same way. But I, I'll be honest, I think probably my wife and I both felt judged a little bit by the drinkers for not being drinkers when we were in high school and when we were uh, trying to get through those four years and get on with life. And probably we felt this strong about it. I don't think this is too strong of a statement. Because of the way we were raised, if my wife had been somebody who was a drinker, I would not have dated her. And if I had been somebody that was a drinker, my wife would not have dated me. We were raised in such a way that that was just something you didn't do. It was forbidden. It was, you didn't even think about it. And so that was very important to us that we had the same values aligned when we started dating each other. I tell you all that just to tell you kind of where I'm coming from on this today because you might think, boy, Brent's real. I've had people say, Brent, you preach against alcohol all the time. I'm like, no, I don't think I do. I don't think I do. I think maybe, maybe you got a problem with it, and when I do speak about it, it bothers you a lot, and you need to repent and change on some things, but I don't think that I'm somebody who just preaches about alcohol all the time. But I do want you to know I come from a very strong stance on that, family stance, church stance, 
cultural background, stance, everything. We were very strongly against drinking whatsoever. But then I had a, a couple of things that happened in my life that made me start to think a little bit and start to look at things maybe a little bit differently than the way that I was raised. The first thing is when I was 15 years old, I read the Bible from cover to cover for the first time. And I noticed when I read through the Bible cover to cover that there were actually some places where the Bible said positive things about drinking, positive things about alcohol or wine. Now, we just ignored those when I was growing up. That doesn't exist. We're not touching that. We're certainly not preaching a sermon on that. We're not going there. We're just acting like those things aren't there whatsoever. But I noticed as I went through, there was a cognitive dissonance growing between what I had taught and what the Bible actually says. And by the way, I go where the Bible goes. That's my life. That's the way I live my life. People, I, I don't go with man-made traditions so much. I don't go with the way it's always been done. I try to go where the Bible goes and follow its teachings. And so there actually were some verses that said some positive things about alcohol. And that was kind of, that created some cognitive dissonance in me when I read the Bible through for the first time. And I had always been told that if you hear about wine in the Bible, that it was non-alcoholic. It was just grape juice. That's not true. I'm sorry to tell you right now, historically speaking, that's just not true. Now, there are differences in the alcohol that was consumed in the Bible and the alcohol that's consumed in these days. The alcohol content of the wine and things that were consumed in the Bible was lower, but it was present. It wasn't Welch's. There was some alcohol present there, and one of the reasons for that was it was good for cleanliness. It was good for purity. A lot of the drinking water was defiled back then. It wasn't good, for, and so if people had wine with a little bit of alcohol in it, it actually protected them from diseases and issues like that. That's one of the reasons you find that Paul tells Timothy, who was a young pastor, Start drinking a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake, almost for a medicinal purpose. We were told it was Welch's. Welch's didn't come along until much later. But that was one of the things that just kind of was like, hmm, I don't know. I've got to relook at this thing. And then when I was 17 years old, I started my first year of college. I went to school a year early, graduated kind of a year early, and so started college when I was 17. And when I went to college, and by the way, I know this is very personal today. I'm kind of telling you my story, but this is the, what, the best way I know to get through this, just to tell you where I'm coming from and what I've come to understand. But I started college up at UNCG. I remember when we went there uh, for uh, just a tour of the campus and everything, and I actually spent one night there on campus before the year started. I remember I was invited to my first party the very first day I was there, and I was like, no, I'm good because I knew my background, I knew what would go on there, and that was probably a very good decision in my life that I, I did not go that direction. I also was part of a dorm that was an honors dorm where alcohol was not allowed. In fact, the room I got in the honors dorm was because the guy before me had been kicked out for hiding beer in the air conditioning unit that was there in that room. And so that's how I got that room. But anyway, at, at college, I, did, I made a decision in my life spiritually. I knew I believed in Jesus Christ. I knew I was a Christian, but I, wanted, I did not want to just ride on my parents' coattails. I did not just want to go with everything that they had taught me. I wanted to make sure that what I believed was solid, was bedrock, and kind of dig down to the foundations of what I really believed. And so what I sort of did was I said, all right, I'm going to let go of things, not Jesus. I'm not letting go of Jesus, not letting go of my faith, but I'm going to let go of things that I've always been taught 
and I'm going to see if I can reconstruct them, see if they come back to me, see what I really believe, see what I, uh, what I come up with through God's Word. And I also had challenges as I went to college, all sorts of different people around me for the first time. I was in a teaching group, and the first thing I noticed is we had a girl in the teaching group who wore a pentagram. And she would tell you, yes, I'm a witch. And that was part of it. And she disappeared. I don't know what happened. Like a couple of years into college, she was gone. But anyway, that was a new per kind of person to run into. And just all these different people, not from Christian backgrounds. And so uh, there was a lot of, of temptation. Well, not super temptation because I never went that direction. But there was temptation there. There was different kinds of thinking. And so I just was basically looking to reconstruct my beliefs in a more firm and grounded way. And one of the guys that really helped me with that was a guy named C.S. Lewis. If you've never read the book Mere Christianity, if you like intellectual Christianity at all, if you want your faith not to just be heart, but you also want to know what you believe and why you believe it, the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is one of the best books you could possibly read to help you dig down to the bedrock of your faith. I think I've probably read it through five times in my life. It may be even more than that. And we're, on Wednesday nights, we're about to cover C.S. Lewis talk a little bit about who he was, how he came to believe what he believed. He was actually an atheist who became a Christian, who became an apologist defending the Christian faith. But as I read through, C.S. Lewis's book helped me so much to, to really firm up my faith and know why I believed what I believed and know why I believe there is a God out there, know why I believe that Christianity is superior to other forms of thought that are out there. And he really helped me get a hold of that. But I also noticed as I read through C.S. Lewis's books, he was a British Christian, and most British Christians consume some alcohol. If you, it's just something that's part of their culture. It's something that, that's always been done. Now, John Wesley, who's one of my other favorite British Christians, wouldn't drink at all. But C.S. Lewis, he even mentioned alcohol. He mentioned beer in his book. He mentioned that Islam was the teetotal religion and not Christianity. And so I started to have cognitive dissonance again. Because I'd basically been taught, if you drank alcohol, you were a phony Christian. If you drank alcohol, you were not the real deal. You could not possibly be a true Christian. But here's this guy who obviously was a true Christian, obviously knew a whole lot more about God than I did, and he's admitting in his book that he drank some alcohol. And so that was something that started to cause cognitive dissonance for me. I, I knew that maybe what I had been taught was a little too simplistic on the subject. At the same time, as I watched around me in college, I saw people flunk out. I saw people start to ruin their young lives. I saw all sorts of bad things happen because of substance abuse. I saw people who didn't just have a beer and quit. They were just getting absolutely sloshed all around all the time. All these stories of bad things happening at parties and everything else. I was surrounded by people who were going way too far the other way. And so I knew that what I had been taught was not completely wrong. What I had been taught was, was, was not a completely off basis. And so I had these two things working at the same time. I also had, growing up, seen what alcohol had done to some of my family members. My dad had a younger brother who, who sometimes my dad refers to him back in those days as the town drunk. He had a severe alcohol problem. He was always getting in trouble with the police, being locked up because his drinking was just totally out of control. And I remember as a little kid, my uncle, it scared me to be around him 
because sometimes he would come in with, with alcohol on his breath, liquor on his breath, and, and it just really disturbed me to be around him. I was afraid of him because he wasn't his normal self. Now, praise God, he got saved several years ago, probably 30 years ago now. He's not touched a drop of alcohol in a long time, and he's actually a deacon in his church now. And so God totally turned his life around. But I saw that up close and personal when I was a kid, and it was something that, that, that scared me and made me kind of sit back a little bit. I saw what it did to his life, and had it not been for God's intervention in his life, he probably would not be here today. He probably would, would have probably lost his life due to alcohol abuse. And so I knew that what I was taught just wasn't totally off base because I knew that people going the other direction were really hurting themselves and really hurting their lives with alcohol abuse. So all that's kind of in the background. I started to dig down. I started to do more study. I started to really try to come to a biblical understanding of what, what the Bible says about alcohol. And so after all that and all these years of study, I boiled it down. And this morning, I just want to give you two very simple points. Two I think you can remember. Two I think will help you as you go through your life and you try to live for Jesus Christ. Two simple points about Christians and alcohol. Number one, drunkenness is a sin, period. I thought maybe I'd get an amen there. Let me say that again, and then you'll give you another chance. Drunkenness is a sin, period. It's wrong to be drunk. The Bible makes that very clear. Ephesians 5.18 that we read this morning says, Do not get drunk. Now, where the line is where you pass into drunkenness, I have no idea, okay? Again, I don't have much experience with this, but I know there's a line there where you have become not yourself anymore, where you've kind of lost control, and it's taken more control of you, and so you pass into that drunken state. And Ephesians 5.18, again, do not get drunk. There's no wiggle room there. Drunkenness is wrong. It's a command of Scripture right there in the New Testament. There's no good way to explain it away. Do not get drunk drunk period end of story getting drunk is a sin first corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 10 says this do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor homosexuals nor thieves nor the covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god Again, that's New Testament. That's not some Old Testament law that's, that's been done away with for the Christian. That is New Testament telling us who's going to inherit the kingdom of God. And right in the middle it says, if you're a drunkard, that means that you have a habitual use of alcohol to the point of drunkenness. That's a pattern in your life. That's where your life is going. That's just a part of your life that's on a normal basis. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I'm just delivering the mail. I did not write the mail. This is what God said through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we could go deeper and we could go further and we could go more with this. God's word says that drunkenness is wrong. 
I can't change it. I can't help it. That's what God's word says. So let me boil that whole point down to this. If you have a problem with getting drunk, or if you have alcoholism in your family, you probably need to have a glass of sweet tea or a Diet Coke and not touch it again. Period, end of story. If it's a problem for you, yeah, you can clap there. It's okay. You can clap there. If it's an issue for you, kind of moderating things probably will not work. Probably just backing off a little bit probably will not work. You need to let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. In other words, if you're going to say, I'm not going to do this, you probably need just to quit cold turkey. If it's an issue for you, don't go back there. And the thing with alcoholism, one reason why I will not drink, besides the fact that our denomination asks that pastors sign an agreement and say that they will not consume alcohol, but another reason for me is I know alcoholism is in my family. And I also know my personality. I don't do anything halfway. I don't do anything halfway. The other day we went up to, to Daniel Boone Inn. How many have ever been to Daniel Boone Inn in Boone, North Carolina? Okay, you know they bring all the food out family style. And I told my parents, and my parents were with me and my family, I said, you know what, I can't eat as much as I used to. I used to, I'd have polished off three plates, dessert, and gone home and had the biscuits left over for, for, a, for a snack. It would have been no problem. I could barely get a plate and a half down. I was disappointed in myself. But I know my, I know my personality. When I eat, I eat big. When I preach, I preach hard. Whatever I do, I go, I go to the ninth, tenth degree with it. And I know if I started drinking alcohol, I'd be a drunk. I know my personality. I know it's in my family, but I also know who I am. If I started gambling, I'd be a gambling addict. Anything I would give myself over to, I would go down that road because my personality is do it 100%, don't do it halfway. And so that is not something I could allow myself to do. And maybe you have that kind of personality. And if you have a problem with alcohol abuse, and I know I've preached to people before who've come to me later and said, Brent, I do have a problem with it. I need to do something about it. It's affecting my family. It's affecting my relationships. It's affecting my walk with God. I think the best way to possibly overcome it is just to stop and to ask God to give you the strength never to pick it up again. Smoking is probably the same thing. I've never had a, a, a desire to smoke. I have a little bit of asthma, and if I get around cigarette smoke, it makes me cough. So I never had a desire for that. But those of you who have a problem with smoking, it's not that that makes you a bad person or an evil person or anything like that. It's just that it's bad for you. You probably need to just lay the cigarettes down and never pick them up again. Don't cut back. Don't try to wing yourself off of it. Just stop and say, God, help me not to touch that again. I love food. My problem is you've got to eat to live. That makes it kind of tough, you know. Just cut it off. Just stop, though. And, and if you have an alcoholic, and by the way, get some help. You may not be able to do it on your own. It's okay. A lot of times we need help. A lot of times we need other people to work with us and help us along the way. So if you need to get help, get some help. Don't battle it alone. Overcome it because it can destroy your life. It can destroy your family. It can destroy other people's lives. I don't want to get into the stories because it would just bring us down so much this morning. But I can tell you stories of my former students who have lost their lives and, and other people have lost their lives because of their drunkenness, because of their alcohol addiction. Kids I taught who are not with us any longer because of some, something they did while they were drunk that cost them their life or cost other people their lives. Get help. Overcome it. Drunkenness is wrong, and that's non-negotiable. If everybody in this place is mad at me about saying it, you'll just have to be mad because it's the truth of God's word. Point number two. 
even drinking in moderation can be sinful if it hurts your witness or causes others to stumble. And I think this is the point that people don't bring out so much. I think most churches in this town would probably bring out point number one and say, yeah, drunkenness is a sin, drunkenness is wrong. But I'm not sure everybody would go here where we're going on point number two. Even drinking in moderation can be sinful if it hurts your witness or causes others to stumble. You might say to me, Brent, I drink, but I don't have a problem with getting drunk. I'm always under control. I never have too much. It's maybe one beer. It's maybe one glass of wine. That's where I stop. I never go. I never get to the point of drunkenness. I never go too far with it. And I, I can believe you. Okay, fine. I'm, I know there are people who are able to do that, who are able to be under control. But there's another thing that's a problem. You may not have a problem with drinking too much, but our culture does. Our culture absolutely does. The culture around us has a drinking problem, and that does come into play here. In a 2015 survey conducted by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, guys, catch these statistics because they're pretty strong. One-third of Americans 18 and over confessed that they had participated in heavy drinking or binge drinking over the past month. Let me read that stat again because I think that, that's more than I suspected even. A third of Americans 18 and over confessed they had participated in heavy drinking or binge drinking over the past month. So basically that's saying one out of three Americans 18 years of age or over has an alcohol problem, has an alcohol addiction. So that means even if we can handle it, even if we can be responsible, we have to think about those people who are not responsible. We have to think about our influence and our witness on them. This is why, church, you will never, 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 never see Brent Tysinger and his wife or his family out on the town having a beer. You just won't see it. I don't do it. Again, I don't drink. But you would not see that because my influence, my witness, is too valuable to me. And I don't know what person. Maybe I could handle it. I don't think I could. But maybe I could handle it. Maybe I could go out and have a single beer or a single glass of wine. But what about the person who looks to me as a spiritual leader? What about the person who looks to me as a pastor in this town? And maybe they can't handle it. And they say, hey, Brent does it. Brent's a great guy. Brent really loves the Lord. Brent's a good preacher, you know. Brent's just this, this spiritual guy. And if he does it, I should be able to do it. And what if my influence, and I could handle it, causes them to get into something they couldn't handle, and it ruins their life, their, follow, their, their relationship with God, their family? I could not have that on my conscience. I also believe the New Testament teaches that alcohol is not for leaders. It's not for those who are in ministry. But that's, we won't get into that point too much today because most of you guys are not in full-time Christian ministry. But I could not do that in good conscience. Romans chapter 14, verse 20 through 21 says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Your brother or sister is what it's really talking about there. You see, in Paul's time, they had a question over meat offered to idols. They would offer meat, they would offer normal, you know, animal meat to idols as, as part of a sacrifice, and then they would turn around, and because it had been part of 
a sacrifice offered to idols, they would sell it at a reduced rate. And the question in the early church was, can a Christian buy meat that's been offered to idols, sacrificed to idols, take it home and eat it and save money and help their family out? Is that okay? And Paul says, yeah, it's okay because they're really, these idols, they're not really gods, they're false gods. And so there, there's, there's no God behind them that's really being sacrificed to. But if your brother or sister has a problem with it and you're going to cause them to stumble through what you do, it's better that you don't do it. It's better that you hold back. Yes, you have freedom in Christ to do this, but at the same time, if your freedom in Christ causes somebody else to stumble and fall and have a problem with their Christian walk, then out of love for your neighbor, out of love for the others that are around you, out of, the, out of love for your Christian family, then pull back and you relinquish that right. You relinquish that freedom so that you can help others along their way. And I really think, guys, that's where we probably need to come to for the most part as far as alcohol is concerned. We have a problem in our nation. We have a problem in our culture with drinking. And if we are out there and we're getting right to the point uh, of being drunk or if we're out there consuming alcohol in front of people who are tempted and have a problem with this, it's very likely that we're hurting our witness. It's very likely that we're hurting someone else. And so for me and my house, the simplest solution for me and my house is we just don't drink alcohol. I don't do it. My wife doesn't do it. We're teaching our kids not to do it. I like Diet Dr. Pepper. It's really good. That's like, that's like my, one of my favorite drinks. But we don't drink any alcohol. And you know, maybe I'm missing out on something because I've never drunk alcohol. Maybe because that's never been part of my life. I've asked people before. I've said, you know, because people seem to, I mean, they get fired up about this subject. I think it was a few years ago on Easter. I just kind of got in the spirit of, uh, as I was preaching. And I was talking about Jesus on the cross. And I said, I said, you know, Jesus hung on the cross naked and ashamed and beaten and despised for you, and some of you can't even stay sober for him. The next Sunday, I think we had 300 less people in attendance than we did the week before. I mean, it seemed to be, and so I don't, I don't get it because I've never done it. I don't get the attachment. I don't get what's so great about it. Maybe I'm missing out on something, but I don't really think I am. I don't really think I am. I don't really think I'm missing out on something that would really make my life great. Because Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 doesn't just stop by saying don't get drunk. It says something else. It says do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And y'all, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know about alcohol. I, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with it. But I can guarantee you there's no alcohol on this earth. There's no amount of drinking. There's no fine wine. There's nothing that can give me the high that the Holy Spirit gives me when he's present in my life. It won't even compare. It won't even compare. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't need intoxicating subjects to make your, substances to make your life better. I put in my notes, there is no high like knowing the most high. Knowing God and being close to him. And I'll tell you this, this might be the most pointed thing I'll say, but I'll go ahead and point it and I'll go ahead and say it. Some of you guys who have a problem with alcohol, if you would get filled with the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have that problem anymore. Just put it out there to you. If you would get filled with the Holy Spirit, he would help you to overcome that problem. If you would be filled with him, I tell you, I'll never forget when I was called into ministry. Cincinnati, Ohio, by the way, our youth group next December they're going to a youth conference at Cincinnati, Ohio. It was at a youth conference in Cincinnati, Ohio when I was called into the ministry. But I remember the Holy Spirit coming on me 
uh, at that point I was praying, I was seeking God's face about ministry, and I've told you guys the story, and I won't tell you the whole story again this morning, but I know that God came on me in such a way, His Spirit filled me in such a way, it was like wave upon wave upon wave of His love hit me. I've never had a feeling like that before, and seldom since, where I have felt the presence of God like that. There's never been anything in my life that felt like the Holy Spirit filling me. It was just amazing. I, I remember I've told you guys again, I told you this before, but we got on the bus to head back from Cincinnati, Ohio to come back to Asheboro. And I remember the whole way back, seven, eight hours, whatever the ride was, the presence of God was on me in such a way. I just looked around and I thought, how did you guys miss it? Everybody else was just going on their lives. I couldn't speak. I couldn't hardly, I would have just probably burst out crying if I said a word because God's presence was on me so strongly. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the title of my sermon this morning. The Spirit is greater than spirits. The Spirit is greater, and He's greater than anything that you desire. He's greater than anything that's got a hold on you. He's, got, he's greater than anything that's causing you a problem today. If you're under bondage or something, maybe your thing is not alcohol. We mentioned smoking. Maybe it's, maybe it's smoking. Maybe you're addicted to gambling. I don't know. We could have somebody here who has a gambling addiction this morning. We know a lot of the men in our culture are addicted to pornography, and guess what? A lot of the women are too now. Maybe you're addicted to media. I got a new thing on my phone that pops up how much screen time I've spent this week on average. It's amazing how much time we're on these sort of devices and things anymore, isn't it? And maybe you're addicted to that, and maybe you're addicted to social media. Maybe you're addicted to approval. Maybe you're addicted to what people think about you, and you always have to have somebody thinking the good about you, and you won't speak up, and you won't tell the truth, and you won't stand for anything because you're afraid somebody won't like you. Maybe you're addicted to that. I don't know what you might be addicted to today. Maybe you're addicted to shopping. That's a real problem for some guys. Don't look at your wives right now. It'd be a problem, but that's a real problem for some some people. They're addicted to shopping. Maybe you're addicted to popularity, young people. Maybe you're addicted to popularity, and you want people at your school to think what's best about you, and and so you won't take a stand, and you'll sell out on things. I don't know what you might be addicted to today, but I know the Holy Spirit is better than that thing. I know he's way better than that thing. I know that whatever it is on this earth, if you receive the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's so much more enjoyable than that thing is. I love to be in the presence of God. That's why I love to worship on Sunday mornings. I, I'm sorry, I'm not throwing off on anybody, but those of you who sit there with your hands down beside of you and you don't sing and you just stand there till the music is over, I don't get you. I really don't get you. Because I love to worship God. I love to raise my hands and praise Him. I love to lift my voice. I'm afraid sometimes I'm going to sing off key and the people up here are going to hear me and it's going to mess them up. But it's okay because I love to worship God. And, you know, I heard, had a pastor tell me several years ago, I actually told a congregation this. He said, some of you don't worship and praise God because you say you don't feel the Spirit move. He said, maybe if you'd go ahead and worship and praise him like he's worthy of, then you would feel him move. Maybe he'd sneak up on you. Go ahead and worship him. I don't come in here and say, how do I feel today? Do I feel like worshiping God today? I come in here and say, he's worthy. I'm going to worship him anyway, no matter how I feel. I told you guys, over the past, over the past couple of years, I went through some bouts of depression. I've never had that in my life. 
before. And a lot of you didn't know it. You know why? On Sunday morning, I came in here and worshipped him. It wasn't about how I felt. It was about who he is. And when his presence descends on you and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you know him and he says, I mean, you will never talk me out of the fact that God is real. The smartest atheist or agnostic in this world could refute all my points and could tear down everything I've ever believed as far as knowledge and things I could write out and say, could tear all that down and you would never get rid of my belief in God because I've experienced him. It's, he's real to me. I know he's real. Sometimes I go back to that time when I was 19 years old and I was called in the ministry and I answered the call and the Holy Spirit filled me. And sometimes that's been the only thing that's kept me going, but it's kept me going because I've experienced the presence of God. Look, I'm preaching too much. I just need to say this to you guys this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever's got a hold on you, whatever you desire, it's not greater than God. It's not greater than Him and there's nothing better than being filled with His Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I'm not doing an altar call to ask you not to drink. That's not what this is about. It's not what this is about, guys. Now, if I could push a button and everybody in this, in this, uh, this room right now would probably never have alcohol again, I'd probably push that button. Because that would be my preference and that would be my choice. But that's not what this is about this morning. I'm not asking you, will you stay away from alcohol? I'm asking you, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to experience Him, who He really is? It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to experience God. And so we're going to sing one final song here, and we're not going to take a real long time, but I'm going to ask you just, if you want to experience Him, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, I'm going to ask you to come right down here, and I want you to sing from the front. And I'm going to ask you to do a second thing. If you come down here and you're seeking Him, I don't want you to just stand here. I want you to raise your hands. See, that's a sign of surrender. That's a sign I'm giving myself over to you. That's a sign of, look, there's nothing here that I'm holding on to. Not alcohol, not gambling, not cigarettes, not whatever it might be. There's nothing I'm holding on to because, God, I want to receive all of you. Feel these hands. These hands are empty. I'm holding on to nothing. I want my hands to be filled. I want my life to be filled with who you are. And so if you want to receive the Holy Spirit this morning in a new way, to experience the Holy Spirit in a new way, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and worship Him. Raise your hands and worship Him. And look, maybe you've received the Spirit before. If you're saved, the Spirit is in your life. The minute you got saved, He entered into your life. But maybe you need a fresh touch from Him. Maybe you haven't felt Him move lately. Maybe you haven't sensed His presence the way that you need to. Maybe you need to come and say, Spirit, do it all over again. Do something new in my life. Fill me, God. Change me. Do whatever you want to with me. I invite you to come as I sing this last song this morning.
If you go out of here this morning and you say, Pastor Brent preached an anti-alcohol sermon. Or if you go out of here this morning and you say, Pastor Brent preached a pro-alcohol sermon. You missed the boat, I just want you to know that. Because what I'm preaching here today is be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
be filled with the Spirit of God. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. Thank you to, to those who came to seek more of Him. We always need more of Him. We always need more of who He is in our lives. And we always need to be more like Jesus every day. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those who came and who raised their hands and who want to receive more of you. And Father, I pray for those who raised their hands in the pews and said they want to receive more of you, God. And Lord, I pray for those who struggle with substance abuse. It's a real thing. It's a real thing in our society and in our culture, God. And I pray you would help those who have a problem with those things to overcome them. But God, above all, we want you and desire for your church to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Help us not to be dead and dry and dated, but help us to be lit on fire for you. God, a quote I use very often from John Wesley, pray that you would light us on fire, God, and people would come from miles around to watch us burn. Father, we thank you that we're like the burning bush that Moses saw when we're lit on fire with you, from you. God, we burn, but we're not consumed. God, we burn, but, but we actually grow and we become stronger and we become refined in who you are. Let it be so, God. We praise you for your presence here today. Continue to do an amazing work in our lives, God. Do an amazing work in our church. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Remember, our giving box is on the way out if you need to use those. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.